This is the Fatherhood Unlocked podcast, and my name is Dan Doty. I'm a father of three, an outdoorsman, and a meditator, and supporting dads to be the best version of themselves is my highest calling. Fatherhood is the biggest rite of passage in a man's life. It's our biggest opportunity to grow up, to wake up, and to learn who we actually are. I believe that a father's love is the biggest missing vitamin on the planet. This podcast is intended to be a lightning rod to call men to action, to create community, and to set a new tone and standard for what fatherhood means. Welcome to Fatherhood Unlocked. Kimberly Johnson is an author, a teacher, and a provocateur. I don't know that she would claim that last word as part of her title, uh, but I'm going to claim it for her. Kimberly is the author of The Fourth Trimester, a book which has been reprinted around the world and is a mainstay of the birth world and has been an important part of, of my and my wife's journey as parents. She's the author of Call of the Wild, and she's the host of the Sex Birth Trauma Podcast. And she is the teacher of a course called Activate Your Inner Jaguar and a bunch of courses around that title and around that theme. She's a somatic experiencing practitioner. She is a birth doula. She was a yoga teacher. She is an all-around complete phenom and force in the world of embodied femininity and sex and motherhood and birth. I'm also grateful to name that Kimberly is a friend and a colleague and has been a confidant and a very uh, trusted and, and caring friend over the years. And in this conversation, we get into the, the cross point of our work. In a lot of ways, Kimberly's work and my work have a lot of resemblance in ways and have some definitely have resonance for sure. She works primarily with women. I work primarily with men. She, has, she dives in deeply with mothers. I dive in deeply with fathers. Kimberly has recently co-created a program called Mother Circles and a facilitator training to support that programming. And I have just released Father's Fire, which is an online men's group, and I'm about to release a facilitator training for those programs. So we're really doing some, some mirrored work in the world. Kimberly has, a, Kimberly has an incredible following, activated following, and has been just a pure leader in the world of women and femininity, and it doesn't end there, right? And in this conversation... Um, we open up about many of the sort of meta topics happening underneath motherhood and fatherhood and parenthood today. And another thing to mention, Kimberly has been working in tandem with Stephen Jenkinson, who is one of the first uh, guests on this podcast and is uh, both a hero and a you know mentor from afar for myself. And she and Stephen have done a lot of conversations that have been recorded and compiled into a book. They go on tour together, and there's this really beautiful sort of live eldership thing that uh, Kimberly has gone on with Stephen, and it's deeply worth your attention if you if you want to look there. So we'll get to the conversation with Kimberly in just a minute or two, but first I want to speak about Father's Fire, which is starting on June 29th, 2023, Father's Fire is an online men's group for dads. 
It is designed based on my last 15 years of experience participating in and running and creating men's groups of all shapes and sizes for many purposes and reasons. Father's Fire is the best of what I have. As far as an online men's group, it is designed to give you very personal, direct experience with a small group of men and access to a large community of dads for whom you can call upon their wisdom. My intention with this is to lead this community in a very clear way. These groups are oriented around action and the rubber meeting the road, and that means a lot of things. Fathers may come into our community totally on their backs, totally messed up, or fathers may come into this community from a place of strength. It doesn't matter where you begin, but the intention is the same. The intention is to round out our humanity, round out our skill set, our ability, our awareness. So it is a full-on training in the being parts of life, the relating parts of life, the doing parts of life, all in the name of becoming. Really, the call to action here is that our children and our children's children and the future are headed for less than we have, for more trouble than we have. There's a lot of things coming in the future, and I'm orienting this community around a group of dads and men who are willing to step up and be the leaders today to model for our children what the world might actually need from them and at least take the time to do our best I do not know that we know the answer. We do not. Let's just be clear. We don't know the answer. I certainly don't know the answer. But if we're going to have an answer, I think we can find it together, and that's the best way forward. So Father's Fire starts soon. All dads are invited. Please sign up at dandody.com, and Father's Fire is prominently featured at the top of the page. All right, everyone, buckle up. Let's have this conversation welcoming Kimberly Ann Johnson to Fatherhood Unlocked. Good. Is it morning there? Yes. Yes, yes. right? It's morning. Good morning, yeah. Kimberly. Mid morning. Good. Good to see you. Good to see you too. Thank you for being here. Um, I've so been waiting have... for you to call me. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, why am I not number one guest? Okay, fine. I'll come down on the roster. I think you might have been the first invite from, I think you were. I think you put tried to get on your calendar. Well, I have been thinking about my first question for you for a long okay. time. It's very simple. Can you tell us the story of when you became a father? <laughs> 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 that was one that was one that was one joke okay. the other was what's what's up with mothers <laughs> i'm not quite sure which angle no, to approach that from. <laughs> no, 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 there's no there's no angle there um i just uh <laughs> no, that's not. Here's what I actually want to start with. The 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 and I, first of all, I want to just get your um your take on something that is sort of core to this project that I am undertaking, this fatherhood unlock project. And we'll just see where it goes from there. Um I do think that there it's possible that there's something unique to history or historic or at least really meaningful happening 
that in the past generation or two generations, how whatever the that's different in each specific case, that um, the role which I'm inhabiting right now, fatherhood, has changed pretty dramatically in a, in a pretty short amount of time in terms of how human things usually go. And, uh, you know, one of the markers of this is, is the birth space itself with men being birth partners, primary birth partners, uh, caretakers, you know, uh, during birth and postpartum and just generally speaking, and then, you know, extending into parenting it, itself as well, just the uh, fathers, at least some of them taking on more nurturing roles, caregiving roles, connective roles, domestic responsibility, all of these things. I think that's pretty remarkable to to be in a moment where that is occurring. Um, my first layer here, really, I just want to hear what you think. But I also want to be gut checked a little bit. And just see if you think that is accurate. Is is what I'm seeing, what I'm reporting out here, does that seem to be the case? Um, yeah. So men are having a more hands-on caregiving role just overall in the, yeah. Well, I guess it would track kind of concurrently with in the last 50 or 60 years, at least, you know, I mean, all of this is somewhat racial too, because if you're in the working class or you were in, in the enslaved peoples or indentured servants, then a lot of times women would be working too, and mothers would be working. Um, but certainly from the point of view of like my family line, for instance, uh, the women were working if they were working they were working as support roles and usually to the men's businesses and men were going out of the home to work and then coming back into the home at the bookends of the day kind of thing uh i guess the the next question of that is just like what we think about that how's that going for everyone um yeah. is that yeah. Is that an inherently positive direction? Is that what's best for culture? Is that what's best for children? But I would definitely say that for sure the expectations have surged hugely. And that's what I notice the most in my office and in the conversations is I don't feel like, for instance, my mother or my grandmother were disappointed necessarily by the participation of their partners, whereas now um, I feel like there's extremely high standards for men. And I feel like the breadwinning role just in general is very dismissed. Uh, mm. Money as something that's important is supposed to be something that, well, yeah, you bring home the money, but fine, you know, and, and I, I'm a breadwinner myself. And so I really see how that works even towards me. It's like the part of my life that requires me to breadwin which I want to do also at this point, but at some points there was like, if I had to choice, I, I would have chosen more mothering, less breadwinning. Uh, and, and to me, they are in opposition. It's, it's, it is in direct opposition. People like to think it's not, they like to think it's like all part of the same thing, but it really isn't. It is a very different function. And I, um, I feel very judged a lot of the time 
when I'm making choices that are for my business or for financial part of what my contribution to my household is. On the broader societal level, everyone would say, well, whoever's breadwinning is getting, you know, has more power, let's say. My own personal experience of doing it is that I feel a lot of judgment when I'm making choices that are for my business and not for my family as if those things are separate because I can't take care of my family if I'm not breadwinning. And so I feel that I have a bit of a a bit of an experience of what some men might feel like when they're kind of getting it on both ends, you know, it's like not good enough here, not good enough there. Right. And I think, I mean, a lot of women feel that way too, because a lot of women work now they work and they mother and the experience of most mothers is like, we're not doing anything good enough. Like, like if we, if we do this more then we're not doing this as well, and there's never enough of us to go around. Uh, but when it comes to being the primary breadwinner, which I am, I just really notice from my family and from other people, like, wow, it's, it's, there's just a lot of criticism that comes from choosing. And, and this comes also with unstructured work. So I would call what I do unstructured because mm. from the outside, someone could walk in my house and not know if I'm watching Netflix or I'm working kind of thing. <laughs> and so when when everything is so um nebulous it's also bizarre for people to understand like yeah i i guess to you it maybe doesn't look like i work a lot but actually i work a whole lot and um you know i feel like it's maybe hard for kids to understand too because you know i don't even have a separate room in my house that's an office I right now I'm in my kitchen because we help we live in a two-bedroom and so I live in one bedroom and my daughter lives in the other bedroom and then we've got a living room and a kitchen so those are essentially my offices and in a way that was good because it's like okay well I'm spending less time commuting and I can be with my daughter as much as possible but on the other hand the lack of differentiation also creates a lot of stress and tension for everyone because it looks like I'm choosing to do work like oh I'm just deciding to do work whereas if I was in an office and that's where that happened and then I came home and that was just family time I think it would be a lot clearer mm -hmm. that um, statement that you know it's not enough on any of the fronts sort of you know I'm not fully succeeding at work or at home, I, I guess I just want to share it's it's a very much um, mirrored or shared statement, right? So we just did a, a big survey and got a lot of, you know, language back from our audience in terms of where they're at. And, you know, the very concise uh, biggest theme was the question of how do I uh, provide financially and show up present and nurturing uh, and connected relationally for, with my children, right? And, and I think underlying that is the clear expression, which I've seen from many, many, many men and myself, for more or less at times too, which is, um, it doesn't quite all seem possible, or possibly we're looking at an ideal, or striving for an ideal, which um, is just that maybe an ideal and, and I feel like there's a, on on father's side right now there's a lot of uh, 
you know, deep desire to do well and potentially a real skills gap in, I mean, it's different for everybody, right? So, some dads have a skills gap in making money or in staying on uh, whatever, but but there's this sort of general meta level thing where there's a skills gap in terms of uh, connection and care and, and love reception, you know, the, that, that layer of things. Um, but yeah, it does feel to me like we're all kind of on a ship concerned that we're not doing well enough anywhere. Interrupting this dynamic conversation just for a minute to talk about intentional fathering. Intentional fathering is a, an audio course that I have recorded for you and for any father that would like to dive into it. It is delivered as a private podcast, which means that you do the transaction and then it shows up magically in your podcast feed just for you. There are guided meditations, there are contemplation questions, there are challenges to take action with in your life. There are stories, there's educational materials, there is all kinds of things to deepen your, let's call it a practice, to deepen your practice as a father. So this is a great opportunity if you're not ready for a men's group, if you're not ready for direct engagement, this is a way to sharpen your game, deepen your heart, and show up for your kids. Check it out at dandoty.com. Yeah, I think some of what we're talking about is the dissolution of the village or any kind of village life where there's role distinction. And if everybody's supposed to play every role, how could we feel anything but insufficient? And if everyone's supposed to be interchangeable, like it doesn't matter if it's your mom or your dad who's doing this, and it doesn't matter if it's this person or that person. But the thing is, is is this, and, and probably a lot of the things that you're talking about are also have to do with partnership at the same time, right? So I'm, I haven't, I've done parenting outside of primary partnership. So I haven't been managing a relationship at the same time. But we see that in relationships too, that people, the marriage is also, there's so much pressure on the marriage and on being an attuned partner and all these things. When, when we look at the function of marriage, the function of marriage was never that you have like an emotionally attuned equal who's your soulmate, you know, who like gets you and can do like the therapeutic healing work. And then also as like your sexual bikini partner, um, the function of marriage was really something that was much more about two communities coming together. And if it made enough sense over time that the families could coexist and, you know, care for one another over time. And we, we kind of, I mean, I'm getting married soon. And so I've had a very current up-to-date view of what it's like to say to people that you're getting married. And most people are just shrugging. Like, I mean, people are happy about it, but they're also like, why are you doing that? Like, why would you get married? Like, really? Yeah. They're like, because it's like, if you're an independent, I thought you were an empowered, independent woman. Why would you need to get married? Like, what does just live with somebody? Why would like leave the door open? Like, why would you, you know what a pain it is to get divorced? You know, like, why would you even bother kind of thing? What does marriage have to offer you? Which from a certain point makes sense. Cause I'm not at an, I'm 49. I'm not going to get married to have a family anymore. I'm getting married for other reasons. Yeah. But I just say that to say that, you know, your original question was about the evolution of fathering and then mm-hmm. how that is in mothering. And 
I'd say in both directions, the roles have expanded because of the way the culture that we live in, it's assumed that women's expansion into the workplace is inherently positive because we deserve to be outside of the home and we deserve to have a voice and we deserve to have access to all of these spaces, whether that's military or politics or sports or whatever. And it's kind of assumed that men being in the home more is, I mean, at least it's assumed that's better for women. I don't know. And it's kind of assumed is better for children, but I don't know if it's really taken into account. Is it really better for men? And so yeah. if that, if, and, and I just feel there's so much guilt that's motivating so many things uh, is my sense. Cause every time I meet with men, mostly in this context of doing podcast interviews, there's, they are so apologetic about their very existence, almost like they're, just, <laughs> they're so apologetic, like indifferent about being a man, you know, and they hold views about being a man that as a woman, I don't hold. Actually, they yeah. assume because I'm a feminist that I feel these things that they're the problem or that they're, and it's like, yeah. the men in my life are, are like, very receptive i feel they've come a long way towards understanding emotions and and like listening and i feel like maybe i haven't gone so far the other direction in trying to understand like how things are going for them hmm. but it's hmm. it's assumed but that's but it's weird because then it's like well what do you mean because men are mansplaining all the time i just i don't get mansplained it doesn't happen to me and maybe it's because i don't hang out in the right or right or wrong, however you want to look at it, places. But I'm just not in these environments where men are disrespectful and talking over me and thinking they know more than I do. So I don't, yeah. um, I don't relate to that. And then as far as, you know, I work so much with sexuality, also the assumptions that I hear out in the world don't line up at all with the assumptions that, uh, with the realities of the people that I work with. So it's confusing to me. And I'm not yeah. saying I think, you know, I love working and I love doing what I do. And I am actually really grateful that I did single parent for a while because it made me take a lot of risks that there is no way that I would have taken because I was too afraid. I was too afraid to buy into the material world. I wanted to believe that it didn't really matter as much. And I wanted to like live my spiritual life as a calling and I didn't want to make it a career. And I've done some really good work because I had that fire under me that was felt like I had no choice. Like you've got to make a career out of this. And so go ahead. My mom even used to tell me, um, you know, you wouldn't really want to work if you had a husband, but she was saying that in a way of like, I'm working too much. And if I, if I could find a good husband, then I wouldn't feel so much pressure to work. But I think that Maybe she's right, but maybe that would have been a big disadvantage for me because I would have felt too comfortable to yeah. feel the fire. No. Well, just to put it on the record, I couldn't be more overwhelmingly happy for you uh, getting married. Like, and I'm I'm sad to not be there, but I am so just like bursting with happiness for you. And I don't really know why, but I am. And um, I guess I know why, right? I mean, I. Uh, I find immense, immense just purpose and joy in, in marriage. And uh, 
and a lot of the other things too, right? Not just not just purpose and joy, but oh, I'm really happy for you. It does surprise me a little to hear that. Uh, I don't know that you that you get the other feedback. I guess that that's that's different than the uh, the little bubble that I live in. Or, but um, I wanted to point to well two things, and it'd probably be messy to say I'm both, but I'll just say I'm both. So first of all. You know what I really want to ask you about today? You said the phrase, the evolution of fatherhood. I want, I want to ask you about the evolution of motherhood in this moment. And I want to talk about your mother circles. And, um, and I just basically want to uh, regale you with praise about, about them. I'm, I'm just very curious. And I don't know, like, I just think it's amazing. Uh, and I'm doing something similar-ish for dads. Um, the thing I wanted to not forget to say is, you know, you've done... Uh, a lot of spent a lot of time and writing work and speaking with Steven Jacobson over the last, I mean, it's in a couple of years. Can't yeah, about it's a couple of years. 20 months. Yeah. 20 months. Yeah. Um, and you know, he's, his voice has been in my head um, kind of continuously fucking me up for the past couple of months um, after a call with him. And uh, you know, one of the things named there so the question is it better for women for dads to be more in the home is it better for kids is it is it better for 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 men um the answer that came to me there is inflected through something he shared which is it's hard for us to get out of the perspective of reaction to to our childhood to our parents to our generational wound or our generational thing right and so that question is it better for men to be more ingrained at home i think through the lens of a type of healing for men which which is being i don't know more woven into the fabric feeling more accepted feeling more human honestly feeling more uh, animal connected bonded then it certainly is good for men this has been my uh sort of from what i've seen uh, from men who is doing that but then the the like Stephen's voice comes up and said, "Yeah, in reaction to how we were fathered, totally seems positive." But on a you know maybe on a bigger perspective, I don't know, you know. Um, so yeah, if there's something there you want to comment on, please do. Otherwise, I want to I want to go toward yeah the evolution of, of motherhood and, and lean that direction. Well, I mean, this is, it's so huge and it's so, you know, I think about it and I think about the people who are listening to us right now. And I think about, you know, what is helpful in terms of people who are listening, but if we just peel it back just a little bit and, and I'll, and I'll preface it by saying like, I didn't know anything about the history of the men's movement, but I started interacting with some people who were definitely influenced by the early men's movement and realizing that a lot of that was based on this idea of the father wound and the absent father. I mean, psychology has essentially, it, it's, it's become the film through which every single thing in the world is seen. And so our own individual lives are considered to be these like endless Rorschachs that we can just keep peeling apart and looking at and, and, you know, I did, it's just my own personal experience doesn't jive with that foundational 
assertion that like absent fathers are the reason for the dissolution of mental health and culture itself. So then if we say, okay, well, this is a compensation then for what we didn't have, then we, but then we look at what are the children like that are, and, you know, I, I have several students who kind of whisper about it, but they talk about having older sons and younger daughters and how their sons are like these, like emotionally, like teary, like crying kind of um, sensitive boys. And their daughters are like these brutes. And the daughters are like telling the sons, like, come on, like, let's go, like, pick it up, you know, because they've raised their sons to try to overcompensate for whatever is this toxic masculinity or, or an unfeeling physicality. And then they've raised the daughters against, like, more in the Jaguar way of like, come on, you got this, like, toughen up. And they're looking in, and it's like, so you're essentially raising sons that you wouldn't want to date. <laughs> because the women yeah. around that I know are like what is the women that are single are like what is going on with men there's like no eligible men to date because men are in such a double bind about everything it's like yeah. you know this is get out of this conversation but why aren't you standing up for us and you know be this like completely emotionally attuned like get me but then Sexually, I want more polarity, which is pretty much of an opposite yeah. function. Yeah. So men, like, I don't know. And maybe, like, again, maybe it's where I live. But, like, at my daughter's school, it's more than half of dads that are dropping their kids off. It's more yeah. dads than moms. Yeah. Um, does that, I mean, and and even if that meant they were only physical, physically present and not doing, like, they were just, you know, they're just only physically present, like I am a lot of the time, because I'm working. So it's like, I'm not 100% present, because I'm answering texts and do I'm double, I'm multitasking, essentially. Yeah, yeah I, I wish for people to be a little more, I don't think realistic is the word, but I haven't seen anything good come out of overcompensation. <laughs> yeah, okay, overcompensation, whether that's, um, parenting styles which I see a lot which is that the assumption that any kind of boundary or authority is like you know curtailing a child's creativity um in my case overcompensating looks like yeah just basically being more permissive because I feel guilty that I haven't been able to do certain things or offer other things mm -hmm. um you know I've seen people do it when they get divorced and then their children are making a lot more decisions than they should because they feel so bad about the divorce having happened that they then are doing all kinds of things that aren't going to be helpful for the children in the long run but in the short term feels like a yeah. decent thing to do uh or on the broader scale it's like the overcompensation is even if a man himself was never abusive or um you know, is just like so afraid of being in an aggressive role or being seen as being aggressive that feels like almost crippled to have a personal need because even a personal need seems like it's infringing on the person who's assumed the the role of um, less power. No. The, um, what you said, <laughs> I mean, I actually hadn't heard 
that spoken out loud. Yeah, like older sons who are squishy and younger daughters who are beasts. But that's not totally different from what's going on in this household. Let's just be, let's just be up. But what comes up to me there is like, well, two things. The <clears throat> my hope, my intention. Well, let, let me just say something. I don't know if I've said this fully publicly or not, but I have concern for what I uh, was party to creating with my former company in terms of this. Like, I do think it's healthy for men to not repress their emotions. I do think it's healthy for men to have a skill set there. But there was there was an overcompensation that I've seen where um, I've seen a lot of dudes get real stuck and and just assume that that's how you live and that's always how you live. And like, as I saw this unfold, I just like, I, like makes me feel sick. Like, it's like, that wasn't the fucking point. Like what happened here, right? And but bringing this back to my boys, right? So I have a, Duke's gonna turn seven in a week, right? So six, nine, seven year old basically and a four and a half year old boy. Um, definitely emotionally literate. Um, I would like to think also that it's not extremely overly compensated at the the impact that that's like the thing. And I don't know, right? I don't think I'll, I I don't think I'm the one to measure this. I think I'm too close, obviously. But um, but it is interesting because in terms of risk taking, being tough, kind of being uh, aggressive, or think, think these are things I'm having to be more explicit about supporting my boys with um and yeah i i, I mean th so you've heard that that that's something that that you've heard more than once that's sort of like emotional boys and, and tougher daughters that's fucking crazy but and it makes perfect totally sense. Makes sense exactly yeah, but I mean, perfect, it's crazy perfect. and you're like oh yeah well yeah. that makes sense because yeah. if if that's what we're valuing and we're saying that everything that's physical and aggressive is threatening and the the point of life right now is to be is everything to be safe and to create safety for everyone at all times then of course and if if it's assumed that masculinity is a problem and that yeah. the the answer to that problem is feelings then it, it makes a lot of sense and also just this yeah. hyper attunement that that's what i'm i'm concerned about is that is the hyper attunement and that would go for mothers or fathers this idea that, um, and, and I do believe that parenting is sacrifice, and I don't think that's bad. I think that's maturation. And so I'm not yeah. talking about not sacrificing, but the, the current mode of attachment parenting and attunement where you're essentially all of the, and, and even people are just backing it up with all this neuroscience, but it's taken, it's being taken to such an extreme and also it's still in the nuclear family family unit. It's not looking at like a wider scope of, of how this works. The idea that, you know, you should feed your child just exactly what they're into and, you know, make sure that they have it. And, you know, so then you're making different meals for each kid and you're eating different food than your kid. Just even that alone will make somebody crazy, you know, and, and then sleep patterns, you know, there's, there's this huge movement against sleep training, which I didn't sleep train. I didn't really know anything about it, but I would say that it's very circumstantial and that, you know, if some, there, this idea that like, okay, well, I'll just be crazy 
and like I'll be completely off my center and I'll be completely unavailable to my partner as a mother. And my, my only job is to be attuned to this child's needs in every way, shape or form. That's really damaging to a partnership. It's damaging, yeah. damaging to someone's own physiology. And it's a mistake to think that your nervous system can be a wreck and your child's is just great. It's just not yeah. how it goes. And that's that's the where the pendulum has has swung on that. And, you know, I know from personal experience, I know because I've helped thousands of women after they've had babies try to recover their sense of self, try to recover their physical functioning, including incontinence, prolapse, all the rest, and then also recover a sexual self that mm -hmm. is important to a partnership, not exclusively mm -hmm. for a partnership, but you and I have had other conversations where that's another place men are disempowered like they just feel like I can't tell my wife I want to be sexual more because that's pressure for her and if there's pressure she feels worse and so I'm just gonna hang back and yeah. like minimize my needs and not have any kind of traction or like way to talk about it so I agree of course men need to talk about the way they feel about things but that's not the only thing and you know it's interesting because Stephen Dinginson has a lot to say about feelings and he's not a fan mm -hmm. um just to mm -hmm. put it mildly which of course if anyone yeah. hears an older white man say they they're not a fan of feelings what do they automatically think of course because you're a white man and feelings are the feminine and so you aren't you're anti-feminine but if you just peel it back a little bit more he'll say like feelings are like the weather feelings are like storms and there's something that's beyond that however if you continue listening he'll say that in his early um, counseling days, which he says he repents for, he would have groups of fathers and most of them were fathers who had um, lost custody of their children. Hmm. And the fathers started talking about their group and calling it a sadness group. Hmm. And so I just found that really interesting because as you know, most of my work is about helping women come into contact with their anger and healthy aggression because mm -hmm. women tend to default to sadness and overwhelm and men mm -hmm. tend to default to anger or checking out and sadness is kind of the antidote to that but it's mm -hmm. not the end it's not the end point it's I think that's changed I think that's changed or changing though I just saw uh, this uh, feminist organization Equimun Equimundo I think it's a Latin-based organization just put out um, a survey on the state of an American male, and 63% were, uh, 63, yeah, 63% showed levels of, you know, concern that could be considered uh, clinically depressed, 63%, sure. right? Well, so I mean, those surveys do, though, like, I'm just, I've had enough of all the mental health surveys, like, give me a fucking break, okay. like, who's not going to, register yeah. like we live in a time that is so bizarre um yeah. like i mean the postpartum depression rates in three years have gone from one in seven to one in four that's double um yeah th that just tells me that pretty much everyone is having a full spectrum of feelings because it's based on self-reporting yeah. but i agree because now there would be more also it's okay for men to cry now it's okay for them but i have I had men coming, I was just on tour for a while with Steven Jenkinson, so there was more men in the audience than usual, and the men coming up to me telling me that they need help because 
they have guilt trauma, which I'd never mm. even heard those words together. But the guilt mm. trauma was like, I'm paralyzed to create, to show my creations, to put myself out there in relationship because I feel so guilty about my identity, which in most of these cases was being a white man. And most of these men were like in their 20s, you know, 23 to 29 type of thing. The thing that keeps coming up as we talk here is, so we moved, you know, from California to Maine, across the country into a, a fairly rural, small town environment. And um, the, the community here, I guess I have been pretty, I mean, listen, like, let's put the, the thing I need to say is, is there's, you know, a fairly affluent, very homogeneous population here. Um, but the dads, the parenting that I've seen in this small community is really, really impressive and seems to be mostly devoid of this insane, myopic, navel gazing. It's like we're in a hall of mirrors, it feels like. It's just like, you know, we're getting like a billion reflections of ourselves endlessly and we're completely caught in that. And I guess what I want to just, I don't know how to, I don't know how to do this. I hope maybe, hopefully I'm doing it a little bit myself, but, but I'm watching dads, humans interact with their family and their job and their work in a pretty direct simple way and who fucking knows maybe this is my trip but it but it's markedly different than the you know than the men's work community and just like this this crazy inward looking and like you know a big part of me is just like well fuck all of this like can we just fucking live you know how that's the question i have is how do we just like trust ourselves and and give ourselves permission just to just to live our lives because this i mean it's more than crazy making right i and i one thing I appreciate both about you and, and Stephen for sure too is is I do see a very that seems to be some of what this is all about is is like cutting through all this insanity that's that so many so many of us are living and I'll put myself in that category too and, and I'm trying hard to chill the fuck out a little bit. Yeah, I think it helps to be in a place like you are where even harsh weather you know like like weather that requires a little bit of submission and mm -hmm. where we can't control you can't control everything and that you have to be a collaborator with the seasons and with nature and a little bit of difficulty i think life is pretty easy out here in california um and so i think that that existential survival feature and the fact that we kind of out here we kind of know most people that we wouldn't be able to survive without a lot of the amenities because we don't farm and we don't um you know the, it, there's so much disconnection from what really makes us live which is why I've always you know admired your work so much and the connection with the natural world and I'm and I think that that's, you know, one thing I thought about in your first question, which was kind of a joke is like, when did I become a father? But I've really been thinking a lot about, you know, I know that Stephen, when he came on your podcast, he talked about like fathering as a function, not an identity. Mm. And I don't think that I'm a father and I don't think that I father culture because I, 
I have at a time I thought, okay, I'm in the mother role and the father role. Cause I'm a single parent. And like, someone's given me like a father's day card, but I feel that in some ways that's disrespectful to men. And it's, yeah, I, I think that those are separate things, roles and identities, but I think that they're concurrent usually just like saying, you know, the feminine isn't just female. Okay. Yes, that's true. Mm -hmm. And the masculine isn't just masculine, but is it the feminine more likely to occur in females? Yes. Is it more likely to occur in a higher proportion? Yes. Of course, not all the time, but a lot of the time. And so I, I just think it's, it's helpful to look at the ways that it's not interchangeable and that the, and that there are gifts in there, there are gifts in the ways that those things might predispose one another, predispose themselves to each to each other. And my life has changed a lot now that I do have more of a father figure in my daughter's life because it's a natural thing. I mean, and I know people really, the natural world word is hugely controversial and some people don't think that it's real, but I do think that there are probably more fathering instincts in a male. And from what I mm. observe, it's much it doesn't, it's not exhausting for him to do those things. Whereas for me to do those same kinds of things feels very taxing, very exhausting. And I don't know if the same is true in reverse since testosterone is such a, you know, powerful engine. Yeah. But I can imagine that having to stretch into more of those oxytocin estrogen functions that maybe aren't the primary response also can be kind of exhausting. And, um, I'm interested just like when I'm helping women with their cycles or with, um, you know, the phases of life of childbirth or the seasons of life in, you know, our fertile years and non-fertile years. I'm interested in like really potentiating whatever that phase happens to be so that when that phase is over, we can be fully present for the next phase. So you are, you also asked me about mother circles and facilitator training and mother mm -hmm. culture. And I've been, so I've, I realized I've been researching a little bit cause I just didn't want to just spout off. So I was like, how long have I been working online? And I've taught my first online course in 2012. So that's 11 years ago. Wow. And this is way before the pandemic when everybody got zoom, right? This is like a long, I don't even remember actually what we used in terms of how we talk to people. Cause I don't think zoom was around then. I am really reaching the limits of what I feel is healthy for myself and my own brain and my own body online, but also contributing to the loneliness, which is kind of the root of a lot of these problems. And so, yes, in a way, it's like I'm helping people feel connected in the moment through a medium that is essentially disconnecting. And of course, everyone's going to argue with that because there's always like, oh, but this, but that, but now I can work from home and be more with my kids. And if I didn't work from home and I traveled and all those things. But for me personally, I really believe in gathering and I believe in humans being with other humans. And I mean, I say believe in, but it's like, I know that that is how we work as mammals and as humans. And that's how our physiology functions the best. Uh, this chronic fatigue and autoimmune and all this stuff is largely happening because we're not engaging our physiology in a way that's in alignment with the natural world. Mm -hmm. So I believe that there's a 
and I've observed that there's a, an arc of a rite of passage in becoming a mother. And I'm sure the same is true of becoming a father, but it's different because there's not the physical rite of passage mm -hmm. that birth is. So I developed a curriculum of eight weeks and I've taught it several times. I actually, I wrote it when I wrote my first book because I didn't think the book would get published. So I was like, well, I might as well have a course that I could offer people so that I could still get the information out. And then I just had this vision of, well, what would it be like if I just give this away? Because I know there's a, especially when it comes to new moms, there's a lot of people who have tons of skills like yoga teaching and breath work and movement and, you know, lots of, or maybe they were even school teachers. So they're good at teaching, but they just don't necessarily have the curriculum or, or coming up with how they would teach what they would teach is the hard part, but not the actually leading of it. And I know that so many women are craving conversations about motherhood that are beyond complaining because because mm -hmm. essentially what's out there is either the glorification of of motherhood that's like, you know, you're the goddess and, you know, wear the crown wreath and wear the flowy Christy Dawn dresses and, you know, homemade all of your baby food and make it look good. Um, or you've got the other side, which is like motherhood is you know, my acts to bear and this is impossible. And I, in sleeping, no sleep is like being tortured and, you know, this sort of complaining, um, you know, my partner doesn't even get it. And, you know, he's over there asleep and I'm awake because I can hear the baby, like that kind of thing. And a lot of women are really hungry for something that goes deeper than that. And yeah. something that is, I mean, not, none of us fit so squarely into these categories. So that's what I set out to do, to build mother culture. And I still do think that if mothers were take, really well taken care of in the early postpartum period, that families would be stronger. And, uh, and so that's what I've been doing. We have 180 people that are all over the world, which is, you know, cool and weird, but um, mm -hmm. my, I'm teaching it as if everybody's going to meet in person. And so nice. they'll take the curriculum and they'll have eight weeks to meet with people once a week. And I'm my vision for it is that doctors will start recommending it and midwives and people who care for mm -hmm. new moms that when people are starting to, you know, express difficulty, which it is difficult, that they have a place to go where they're having a conversation that goes below the surface and mm -hmm. but also isn't like all exclusively for like, you know, crunchy processy folks that like somebody who works a corporate job could still find a home in that conversation that's centered around really big questions. Like the, the seventh class of the eighth class classes is called mother worth. It's about this question that we talked about is a lot of people come into motherhood thinking I'm definitely going back to work after I have a baby. Then they have the baby and they're like, I don't want to go back or they think, you know, I'll go part-time. And then they realize like, actually, I really like being at work and I feel terrible that I do, but I actually want to go back to work. But everyone, just like you're saying with fathers, everyone is feeling like they're not doing it right. They're not doing it good enough. They're feeling this, the weight of the sacrifices, wondering if they're going to permanently damage their child by not being around enough or too much. And there's not so many spaces to talk about the specifics of that and the nuances of that. And to hear other people's stories. And I think that that's been so far one of the biggest learnings for me 
because we do a lot of breakout rooms, which is different than a lot of my other courses. And in the breakout rooms, there's really something about having, which I don't think would happen in person as much, but online, because I have such big classes, you know, there's 600 people in the, or 650 or something in the last mother circle, there would be a room where there was like a mom with a 14 year old, and then someone who'd never had kids, and then someone who was just pregnant. And then they're talking about it. So they're not hearing information, they're hearing it like, oh, and like a mom with a two year old, whose two year old is like running in and out of the camera. And the mom that's pregnant can see the reality of what that is. So instead of saying like, it's important to get postpartum care, the the new mom is saying, I didn't do this and this is what's happening because of it. So those conversations intergenerationally and also just human conversations rather than didactic conversations is really what we're trying to support. And it's been really it was really challenging to put the curriculum together because I'm such an expert on each of the categories. And so for me, I could teach like five hours on one of them, but what could I make that anyone could pick up this sheet and with just the facilitator training can lead a really great conversation that's got a structure to it. And so far it's going really well. We'll we'll know more because those people haven't gone out yet to teach it, but I just... I want to begin to, because what I've noticed is when I'm trying to hold circles or like do lead a mother blessing, people don't know how to act in circles. Yeah. Yeah. They don't know. They don't know how to share. They don't know when it's their turn. They don't know how to share space in a circle. So I feel like this is the beginning of these circles can become circles on parenting teen daughters can be circles on sexuality can be circles on the nervous system but at least it's like also starting starting the education of here's how to circle here's how you how you sit in ceremonial space here's how to make something go from feeling banal to feeling meaningful and like it was worth your hour and 15 minutes that you don't walk away going like okay, that was just like a breastfeeding group, or I might as well have just gone to the bar. Actually, that would have been more fun, you know, that you feel like this is something that's changing me and worthy of my investment. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, even without COVID, there's a um, the hunger for, for, the, for the human connection and the uh, general, I don't know, confusion on how how that happens in a really productive way Uh, well here's what i wanted to say so one of my favorite things that i'm building right now it's called fatherhood ready right so it's basically a a, a, call it a father circle for for those about to become fathers or those wrestling with the question becoming a father it's like a little boot camp right um and when i initially uh came up with it i I envisioned online right it's just it was just where my head was i thought but you know what quickly came to light as what I would be far more excited about building was like, yeah, why would it not make sense that there was chapters in around the country in the world of, of dads who really care and want to give back and have some time and maybe could have a side hustle to have really this deeper level, you know, experience these, these things. And, and that, you know, having that vision of the in-person thing changed the entire tone 
of the of the project for me and it, it really is far more um I mean, I think it's, I think the physiology of being together in person works on me. Even when I just think about it, you know, I think like I feel myself engaged more. I feel myself like drawn in and leaning in toward that very much. Um, I can't wait to see where this goes for you. Honestly, I don't know. I just have this tingle that um, such a, it seems to me again, from just like lo- hearing you speak now and looking at your materials and stuff, it just feels like, um, it feels like it's a kind of thing that could become really part of like structurally a part of culture. Right. And I, I don't know if that's your hope. I mean, I don't know. I'm curious. Do you have, where's, where's your level of intention lie here? I mean, is, is it just to educate and to, to like, what, what's the, what's the aspiration? Is there an aspiration here? Where could this go? What would you want this to be? I mean, I would like this to be available in most places so that yeah. people know what, like, yeah. just like in the old days, people would know if you're having a baby that you need to go to childbirth education. Now, for some reason, that's fallen off and people don't consider that important anymore. But as much attention as there is on postpartum depression, as much attention there is on the you know decline of marital satisfaction after someone, people have children, this is a response. I mean, I don't, I don't know if we'll go the data route, but I, I'm 100% positive that if women were doing this, that we wouldn't see everything categorized yeah. as mental health. And so, yeah. as I said earlier, like I'm so done with all these mental health indices and like, you know, the surgeon general just put, put out the report on loneliness and all that. Yeah. I mean, it, to me, it's all just really obvious. It's like, okay, but then it takes a lot more effort to get together with people in person. I mean, think of how many people that you and I know that are therapists or coaches and used to do things in person and don't do them in person anymore. Many of them don't do it in person because now they live in Costa Rica or Austin or whatever, then they're living their best life by doing it online and, and using the money otherwise. But I mean, there's a lot of people that just in town, like don't want to drive from North County Mm. to South County. And so they just, everybody just stays in their respective houses. So we're going to have to do the uncomfortable things if we actually want to move this needle, because getting together in an online circle, will it be advantageous? Yeah, probably, Mm -hmm. but it may deliver you right back to the circumstance that's causing your loneliness to begin with. Cause is it helping Mm -hmm. you make friends with your neighbors? Is it helping you like, because we all know in new parenthood, you need actual people. Like you need hands, right? You need somebody that can like warm up the food or hold the baby while you take a shower and go to the bathroom or stay in the house so that you can leave the house. Right. So an online circle is not going to help with that. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm betting on it. I'm, I'm, I'm doing my best to make something that's as doable and compelling as possible. Cause of course, something like this could be a year thing. Can some, but would somebody commit to eight weeks in a row? I mean, even the training was, is eight weeks and like people were like, well, you know, I decided to go out of town for two weeks. And so I'm not sure if, you know, and it's like, yeah, totally it happens. But like, can we even be where we live for eight weeks at a time? <laughs> and I don't know, but I, I'm really hoping because I 
have a teenager and I see what's going on and I am like, okay, what is, what am I contributing? How, what and how am I contributing to a different way of life going forward? And mm -hmm. not to be all like catastrophic and dramatic about it, but you know, when most of the adolescents are on medication and most of them are spending hours and hours and hours online how are they going to how are they going to learn how to gather and be in circle how are they not going to be siphoned off into ai land and yeah. convinced that you know it doesn't really matter if you partner or not it doesn't really matter if you have a family or not like you know so this is my lob for homo sapiens and uh round one <laughs> yeah well, you know, since we've met, there's, I've, there's, it's like each of us are somehow subscribed to s at least one similar cosmic newsletter that comes in. I mean, I feel so in line uh, with what you're sharing, and and uh, yeah, I'm curious to see. I'm curious to see where this all goes. You know, the 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 question, the other big question that's just always on my mind. I'll kind of leave this as our our sort of ending point here, and it's unfair because it's a huge question but but we'll see what we can do with just a short a short address of it which is um like you just mentioned like you know the the technologically uh ambiguous future maybe not ambiguous future which which we're looking at um i you know i'm constantly asking my my dads and my men and my people that i'm working with and myself right like what how do we how do we parent uh in the face of of what's coming and, and I, I asked this to steven and he turned around on me and showed me that it, you know, it wasn't the best question it wasn't the best framing of a question but it is the case that every day we're you know i'm making decisions every single day on on preferences of how i think um doing my best to intuit and 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 resolve how to raise my my children right and um, you know, my simple answer is let's know how to be together, right? Let's let's be able to be in connection with um, nature in different ways and, and our resources and just like simplicity. I guess to put it all in what to simplify, simplicity is is what I'm falling back on, what we're falling back on as a family. And I know that's not realistic for everybody, but is there a do you have any sort of concise answer or initial feelings on? what we do today in terms of the future. I mean, in a way you're like, you're doing the dream, right, Dan? Like you got like the homestead and you got, a, you got, you know, you guys know how to grow food and you hunt and you're living, you know, a lot of the time outside and maybe the way our ancestors lived a long time ago, minus, <laughs> minus online business. <laughs> uh, I, I feel number one that I just have to come to terms with feeling like I live in purgatory. So um, I have to understand that that is unique to these times, that it's not, I'm not making it up, that I'm not just saying, oh, these pressure, every generation has pressures and these are just ours that know this is a very distinct time. Um. So 
for me, that allows me to, I mean, there's a lot of grief in that, but it also allows me to adjust my expectations a bit that there's not really going to be a way to like get this right. Because for instance, I mean, I'm, I'm highly compelled to make a very drastic change, but even saying that, I bet almost everyone listening feels the same thing, right? So that's telling me that's a nervous system response. It's a huge flight response. Like, just get me out of here. Like, press the eject button. I'm going to say F it to all this. I'm going to, you know, just live off the land, um, you know. And there's maybe when you don't have children, but once you have children, you don't really get to opt out like that. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of choices that are so complex for me. And so, yes, I would like to simplify them. But for instance, my daughter wanted to go to Kenya for spring break. I mean, spring break's only like nine days. Kenya is really far from here. And also she has roots in Africa. I've never been to Africa, which I felt like is kind of good for her to have an experience that I haven't had. It was with her favorite history teacher who I know has a Countercultural lens, so I could kind of trust that. But then also is really expensive. And like, what does it mean to think that you're going to help someone else? And in like, they're like, and bring them shoes. And I'm thinking, like, you think the Maasai need shoes? Like, how long, how many centuries did they live without shoes? And now we're helping them by bringing them shoes. And, you know, so many just question upon question of, is this a good idea? And that's just one choice. And we have choices. I mean, buying a car, it's like every, so should I buy buy the hybrid, but then the hybrid, you need the da, 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 da. So I think there needs to be like a huge amount of grace for the complexity that all of that requires. And that this is, this is truly the long game more than probably anyone's ever played in white Anglo culture is like, it, this might this might not make my life better right now, but will it make life better in two generations if two generations happen? And comfort is off the table in a way. Like I, there's like certain things that will make me really comfortable, but I can see that my comfort isn't contributing to my underlying contentment. Yeah. So, um. I have really stopped trying to make my daughter's life easier because that's what I was doing. Cause I was feeling bad about everything. I was feeling bad that she didn't have a participatory dad. I was feeling bad that I haven't like bought a house. I was feeling bad that um, I work so much. And now I've just been like, this is the reality and this is what is happening. And this is our life and it's not a bad life. So no, you need to help with this and you need to do this and you need to have this responsibility rather than taking away responsibility because of Mm -hmm. the guilt. It's like, no, actually you need to have some more responsibility because part of the reason where I am, I am where I am is that there's a lot of things I don't know how to do because that didn't get passed down to me as something that was useful. Like nobody thought that teaching me how to cook was a good idea. So now I'm learning how to cook in my forties and it's like anything. It's so much easier if you just learn when you're young as a matter of fact of what you're doing. Some of my friends, five-year-olds know more about the herbs in the garden than I do. 
you know, they're like showing me plants that are edible. And I'm like, this is a little bit pathetic. I mean, okay. But like, you know, it's a little sanitized. So just really continually reminding myself that it's really not so much about what my daughter wants, that part of my job as a parent is to know what's good, good for her and to make choices accordingly. And then she can either be happy about it or not, but her happiness about it isn't really a reflection on if I'm a good parent or not. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. A billion times. I, um, yeah, let's, let's, I won't mess it up with more words. Let's, uh, I just couldn't agree anymore. And, and I'm, I, for myself, I've recently had a sort of, uh, come to Jesus about, about comfort too, and places where, um, I'm absolutely, you know, making decisions based on my own on comfort. And, and we have, uh, are attempting in the process of attempting to, um, push our kids much more into into action and discomfort than um than we had been but thank you for that thank you for sharing that i really appreciate it i think that it's uh uh really needed and really helpful and um and i wish i feel like um feel like we scratched the surface and there's like a few places i wish i wish we would add more time to to go much deeper into um but thank you i miss you i appreciate you i'm glad you're here um invite me again yeah i will of course and uh yeah good luck with this is our you know since we met on the podcast we did yeah maybe that was was that five years ago i think it was five years ago it must have been yeah jude's gonna be five yeah exactly pretty pretty close to five i would say yeah four or ten months or something but all right Kimberly, thank you Um, thank you lots of love see ya thank you everyone for being here thank you to kimberly for her time and her wisdom and her perspective and all of her devotion dedication that she has brought to the world and yeah please help share this this is this is part of my offering to the world right now i am going to keep doing my part in attempting to bring really meaningful podcasts here not things that are just an easy quick listen but something that actually causes you to pause or even stop or pay attention to to life in a new way that's my intention that's what i'm going to keep trying to do if you are willing to help share this pass it on to other dads other parents other moms And we'll just see where this entire thing goes together. Thank you.